The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 194 Facing the End Soon, Passover would be here. Jesus told Peter and John to go into the city to look for a man carrying a pitcher of water and to follow him to the house he entered. At that house, they were to ask the owner where the guest chamber was for them to take the Passover. They did so and found that a large second-floor room was already furnished for their needs. When the sun set, Jesus and his twelve disciples, including Judas, sat down to keep the Passover. I have greatly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, Jesus told them. He was excited to keep this profound ceremony and to teach them its deep meaning. I will not eat of these symbols anymore until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This would also be Jesus' last meal as a human being. He would not eat or sleep for the next 30 hours. Next, Jesus showed his humble, serving attitude in a real way. He stood up from the table, put aside his outer garments, and rolled up his sleeves. He took a towel, poured water into a basin, and to the shock of the disciples, he began doing what only the lowest servants did. He washed their feet. Peter was shocked and spoke out. He told Jesus that he thought it was wrong for him to wash his feet. But Jesus told him to allow him to set this example. He would have no part with Christ unless he did. Jesus knew that the disciples would not fully understand this until later. But Jesus did this act of service to symbolize how his followers must serve not only him, but also one another. They must not selfishly compete with each other. God recorded this event in the Bible so that true Christians throughout history could follow Jesus' example and participate in the foot-washing ceremony at the Passover service every year. In fact, Jesus even washed the feet of Judas. He knew Satan had already entered Judas and had put it into his heart to betray him. Yet he humbly served even the man who would cause him to be killed. All the while weighing on Jesus' mind was his torture, his death, and his mission. God the Father and he had planned for this time from the foundation of the world. The only way to save human beings from their sins and from eternal death 
was for one of the God beings to become human, to live a sinless life, and to die. Since Jesus had helped God create all human beings, his life was far more valuable than theirs, and his death could pay for all of their sins, as long as he did not sin. After Jesus finished washing everyone's feet, he put on his outer garments and again sat down with the disciples. Truly, I am telling you that one of you will betray me, Jesus told them. The men looked at each other. Jesus always told the truth, and he could prophesy the future. This must be true, but who could it possibly be? Peter motioned to John, who was leaning on Jesus, to break the silence. Lord, who is it? John asked. Jesus answered John. It is the one to whom I will give a sop. Then he dipped a piece of food into some broth and handed it to Judas. It was a mark of honor for a host to present a sop to someone at the table. Jesus was still showing love toward Judas. Jesus knew the terrible thoughts occurring in Judas's mind. He knew the time had come for him to face suffering and physical death. But Jesus Christ put his faith in his Father and faced what was coming. What you are about to do, do quickly, he told Judas. The other disciples still did not really understand what was happening. Judas was the one to whom Jesus gave the sop, but Jesus was not yelling at him or pleading with him like a regular person who was afraid of being betrayed. Some of them assumed that because Judas had the money bag, that Jesus meant for him to go give something to the poor or to go buy something they needed for the holy day, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would begin in a little less than 24 hours. Judas looked at Jesus, then looked away. He picked up the bag and his staff and walked out into the night. Out of sight from Jesus and the disciples, he turned toward the temple complex. Now was his chance. It was dark, and there was no people around. If he alerted the chief priests quickly, and they sent men to arrest Jesus tonight, they could avoid the crowds of people. Many people supported Jesus and many more would think it was wrong for the Jewish authorities to arrest him just before or during the holy day and the feast of unleavened bread. Judas hurried toward the temple. With Judas gone, Jesus took the Passover with his remaining 11 disciples. He talked to them about unity and godly love and told them that he was now about to go away. Peter spoke up and insisted that he would stay with Jesus, no matter what, even if it got him killed. But Jesus responded with a shocking statement. He said that before the cock crowed at sunrise, Peter would deny three times 
that he even knew him. Scores and scores of Jews had come to Jerusalem to keep the Passover, but they would keep it the next night, a day later than God had commanded, combining it with a night to be much observed, and they would keep it the way the descendants of Abraham had kept it since Moses' lifetime, eating roasted lambs, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. All those lambs that had been killed and eaten over the years were symbols. The Jews did not realize it, but they were symbols of the Savior, who was actually here. Jesus Christ was in Jerusalem, keeping the Passover on the day God had commanded, unlike the Jewish religious leaders who would keep it incorrectly the following day. He was preparing to save all mankind from eternal death by being killed, just as God had used the blood of the lambs to save the firstborns of the ancient Israelites from physical death. Because Jesus Christ himself was the actual Lamb of God who would sacrifice his life for the sins of all human beings, he changed the symbols of the Passover. After the men finished eating, Jesus took a piece of thin, hard, flat, unleavened bread and said a fervent prayer over it. Then he broke it into smaller pieces, handing it to his disciples. This represents my body he said, which I am giving for your benefit. Eat it, and do so in the future in remembrance of me. This ceremony would be part of the Passover from now on, because it represented what his body was about to go through. He was about to be beaten and tortured to pay the price for human beings' physical sins, breaking God's health laws which results in sickness, injury, and degeneration. Then Jesus took wine, prayed over it, and gave a little bit to each of his disciples. This represents my blood, he said, which I will shed for you. This wine, along with the bread, would be part of the Passover ceremony from this point forward because it represented the fact that he would be killed to pay the death penalty for human beings' spiritual sins. The meal was over. Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and partaken of the unleavened bread and the wine with them. He knew what was coming, but he did not focus on the persecution and pain he was about to suffer to complete his mission, but on his disciples' needs. The eleven men looked at Jesus for instruction. They were unsure of what was about to happen. Do not be troubled, he said. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many offices. I would have told you if it were not so. Now I must go prepare a place for you. But I will come again and receive you so that you can be with me again. Jesus told the disciples that they should understand where he was going, that he was the way to the Father, 
and that he was just like his father. He told them that the works he did were actually done by God the Father. He said that those who believed in him would do powerful works as great as, and even greater than, he did. He prophesied that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to work with them and within them. He also taught them that loving him meant keeping his commandments. He again encouraged them not to be afraid because he was going to the Father, and he would help them. Now I have told you all this before it comes to pass so that when it happens you can believe, Jesus said. Soon I will not be able to talk with you because Satan is coming against me. But so that the whole world will know that I love my Father and keep his commandment. Now I will do what I must do. Arise, let us leave. The men stood up and sang a hymn together. Then they left the room and walked out toward the Mount of Olives. Jesus knew that Judas had probably already talked to the chief priests. They would be pursuing him soon. Precious little time remained for him to teach his disciples and to pray to his father. Jesus led the group out of the city gate and through the streets, which were full of people preparing to turn in for the night. They walked toward a stream and a garden area among the buildings and tents at the foot of the Mount of Olives. He had often gone to these olive trees and shrubs for privacy, to teach, meditate, or pray amidst the creation. As they walked, Jesus compared his relationship with his disciples to how God designed plant life. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, my father cuts away. And he prunes even the branches that produce fruit so that they will produce even more. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself. It must be connected to the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain connected to me, you will produce much fruit. But if you are not connected to me, you will wither and die like dry branches that are gathered up and burned. If you remain connected to me, and if you believe and live by my words, you will ask what you will, and it shall be done. When you produce much fruit, my Father is glorified. In the same way that he has loved me, I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will continue in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I continue in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy might remain in you and so that your joy might be full. This is my commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. There is no greater love than for a man to give up his life for his friends. Jesus' disciples had said they were willing to give up their lives to follow him and protect him. He was actually about to do it. He was preparing to give up his life for his friends. To give all human beings the chance to be born into God's family. 
The disciples listened carefully. Night had fallen, and some were beginning to grow sleepy. But they tried to focus and understand everything Jesus was saying. He told them that they were more than just his servants. They were his friends. If they obeyed what he commanded them, he commanded them to love one another and to be prepared for the rest of the world to hate them, persecute them, and even kill them. But he encouraged them to believe in him and obey him, promising that if they did, God would give them the power to make it through. The hours and minutes were passing away. Jesus had instructed and exhorted and encouraged his disciples. Now it was time to pray. Jesus entreated his Father, focusing on their plan to give eternal life to human beings through his sacrifice. He looked forward to being glorified again, becoming a spirit being again, and ascending to heaven to be with his Father. He also prayed fervently for his disciples who were with him and those in the future who would become his disciples, asking the Father to become one with him and with those true Christians. After telling his disciples to take a rest and sit down while he walked a little further to pray alone, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him a little further. The disciples looked around to make sure no passerby wandered through the garden and interrupted Jesus. Based on Jesus' warnings, they also kept an eye out for anyone who might be coming to cause him trouble. But it was just a normal night outside of Jerusalem, and most of the people in and around the city were already asleep in bed. Jesus knew that before the night was over, he would be betrayed, forsaken, seized, and persecuted. He felt extremely sorrowful and burdened. He told Peter, James, and John the anguish he felt and asked them to watch with him while he walked just a little further and prayed. Kneeling down in the garden with his face to the ground, Jesus prayed emotionally, fervently, and faithfully. Oh, my Father, if it is somehow possible, please let this cup of death pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus did not want to experience physical torture and death and the terrible risk of sinning. If he sinned, his death would pay for that sin alone then all other human beings would have to die to pay for their sins. The God family would never expand. In fact, it would lose one of its only two members. God the Father and Jesus Christ had taken an enormous risk to carry out their plan of bringing human beings into their family. This was perhaps the most crucial day of all. But Jesus faced it squarely, trusting his father for the strength he so desperately needed 
checking on Peter, James, and John. Jesus found them asleep. He told Peter, the leader, and the one who had said he would die for Jesus. Could you not watch with me for even an hour? Watch and pray so you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but realize that the flesh is weak. Praying fervently a second time, Jesus could tell that the Father was answering him. The answer was that there was no other way. Sin must be paid for by death. He would have to suffer torture and murder, and it was coming soon. Oh, my Father, he prayed, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, I submit to your will. Jesus finished praying and walked around the bend. There he found his disciples asleep again. How alert, passionate, and spiritual Jesus was at this crucial moment, and how sleepy, unaware, and physical his friends were. Looking around to make sure no one might interrupt his prayers, Jesus let his disciples sleep and went back to pray again a third time. The grass and stones beneath him were blotted with small drops of red liquid. He was praying so intensely that he was sweating blood. Jesus said, Amen, for the third and last time. Then he slowly stood up. It was only a matter of time now. He looked around at the garden and up at the stars. He heard the sounds of the insects and the breeze rustling the olive leaves. He slowly walked back toward the disciples, letting them doze a little longer. Sleep on now and take your rest, he said. Behold, the hour has come. The Son of Man has been betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. The man who has betrayed me is coming. As the disciples awoke, Jesus' resolve hardened. He would do his Father's will. He would do God's work. He would finish his mission. He would save the world. He would face the worst betrayal, persecution, torture, and death in human history. He would face it head on. And he would face it now. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.